My name's Larry. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're first-timers here, welcome. And uh, one of the things we love doing here is that we love getting into the Word of God. Over the last 19 years, every week, something with God's Word. And uh, you can't go wrong with that. If you're a believer in Christ, you can't go wrong with God's Word, eh? And even if you're not a believer in Christ, we invite you tonight before you leave... Become a believer in Jesus, and then the Word will become important to you. All right, so that was just a little editorial right there. All right. Yeah, I got a weird one tonight. <laughs> you know, uh, scum, uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about scum is um, they're a lot like Calvary Chapel. If you know anything about Calvary Chapel, it was birthed in the 60s. But they go over the word, word by word, sentence by sentence, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, they got some of the best preaching you'll find. Uh, Very feeding spiritually, and scum has always been that way. Um, Although I got to tell you, you know, uh, there have been times where I preached, they said, you have these 57 verses to cover. And I'm like, holy cow, you mean, what? That's a lot of verses. Uh, But tonight, we're going to trim it down a little bit. And uh, I have some very interesting stuff here. So I think, so you can see by the title here, The Hidden Life of Grief and Intercession and How They Work Together. Now, that's not a title that you're going to hear in a lot of churches, especially a church like Scum. What Grief, intercession, you know, but um, that's what the Lord told me to do. So that's what I decided to do. And I've had a great time preparing it. You know, I believe that scum of the earth church, you know, for those of you that are new or not used to us, we call it scum. But scum of the earth church, I believe we're at a very strategic, sweet spot. I do. Things are falling apart. We got all kind of stuff, you know, summertime, people aren't here. You know, we got all kind of stuff going on. If you're part of the church, you know I'm not saying something new. But I believe, I really believe... I really believe that our best days are ahead of us. I believe that. And uh, the reason why I believe that is because I believe in Jesus. And Jesus loves to take impossible situations and turn them into something good. So I feel like uh, some of you won't get this reference. I'm sorry. You know, I had some uh, uh, women friends that say, you just use war and sports examples. I'm like, I'm a guy. What, What else do I know? You know, I'm not an artist, so I can't use artistic stuff. Um, I don't know, and I got in trouble because I threw out a couple of things that I thought women were into, and I just almost got punched in the face, so I'm not trying that. But I believe we're in a spot just like in 1983. Broncos are pray, playing in the playoffs against the Cleveland Browns. They're behind by two or three points. They get the ball. John Elway's in control of the ball. It's on their two-yard line. they got 98 yards to go. They get in the huddle, you know, uh, John Elway, Elway, as far as football goes, the magic man. Keith Bishop, one of the linemen, comes to the huddle, and he makes this great statement. I believe we've got him right where we want him. <laughs> I believe the Lord's saying that tonight about this church. And I'm not just trying to blow smoke up, you know what. I don't do that. I'm not one of those kind of guys. I really do feel that scum of the earth church is uh, on the way to greater days than we've ever seen. Now, I don't even know what that means. And I'm not being Pollyanna and, uh, you, ooh, you know.
know, I, I'm just not like that. But I have faith in my spirit. Some of you guys may know that not know, understand the reference Pollyanna. That means naive and just sweet by and by. Uh, I'm not that kind of guy. I really do feel a conviction in my heart that scum has got the best days ahead of it. And uh, you got, sorry. We haven't seen anything yet. I believe it. And I believe it's because we're tied to the man that sits on the throne. His name's Jesus Christ. And uh, I, be- I believe also that the enemy doesn't like this church. This church in particular. I don't think he likes this church. He's in the 19 years it's been existent, existed. We could tell stories of what's been thrown at this place. Here we are, 19 years old. It's only by the grace of God. So I do believe, folks, that we got good stuff ahead of us. So my uh, title is The Hidden Life of Grief and Intercession. I, try, I pass this by some of my friends, mature Christians that know me well, and they're like, what? What kind of title is that? What does that mean? Either you speak, you're going to speak about grief in church? That's supposed to be for like little groups. Uh, intercession, what does that word even mean? I mean, much less putting grief in intercession. And what is up with the hidden life thing? And I said, well, uh, when I was originally given this message by the Lord, uh, I just got grief is intercession. And then I just kind of finagled with it and got this title. And I really believe that this is kind of a unique message, not because I'm preaching with it, preaching it and came up with it. But this is something I've been sitting in, this kind of experience, for quite a long time in my life. And uh, some of it has to do with my gifts, some of it has to do with my calling, some of it has to do just because I'm a weird guy. I don't know. What can you say? Um, Ephesians 6.18 says that we're to pray all kinds of prayers. By the way, we... We're going to be in John 11. I'm going to do some scriptures before we get there. But Ephesians 6.18, when it's talking about warfare, it says, pray all kinds of prayers. That means all kinds of prayers. In other words, there's all kinds of ways to pray. For instance, some people like to make a list. I got plenty of lists. You just like to go down the list. There's the Ephesians, uh, sorry, Philippians 4 thing, where it says, make your request to God with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So there's this thing of coming before God and making requests. There's group prayer. Some people don't like to pray unless you're in a group. Other people don't like to pray in groups. We used to have prayer meetings here, and uh, Scum of the Earth was, is known as, uh, at least this is what I've experienced and been told, is basically an introvert church. you got artists, you got intellects, you've got philosophers, when we would have our prayer meetings, I always described it like this because I was in charge. It's like I would start the prayer meeting, and then I said, it's like shoving a canoe out into the lake, and you just hope somebody paddles. You know, that's what I would always say. And so uh, you have uh, some people just like individual prayer. Don't put me in a prayer meeting and make me pray out loud. Um, some people pray. I know this may be a little, but some people speak in tongues. That's their prayer life. They pray by speaking in tongues. They have that angelic language that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians uh, 14. And some people like to pray for others. That's the main way they like to pray. I heard of a lady that she, she has a hard time articulating prayer. So she writes prayers for an hour. And she travels around the country. 
encouraging people to learn how to pray. And she says, I sit down and I pray for an hour. By, I write for an hour. I'd like to see the indent on that finger, man. That'd be just weird. But that's the way she likes to pray. And, and some of my best times of prayer is when I sit down at the computer and I just close my eyes because I'm familiar with the, the keyboard and I'm going to intercede for somebody. And I, I tell you, I had some of my sweetest times just sitting down and letting it flow. Sometimes it doesn't look cohesive when people are reading it. But I tell them ahead of time, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to let it flow. I'm not going to autocorrect or anything. And uh, I like doing that. So there's all kinds of prayers. Today we're going to talk about intercession. I'm not going to give a terrific uh, um, definition to it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time defining it. Except that intercession is a little bit different than when you just sit down to pray and you're just you and God. You do it. Intercession, you go to a whole other dynamic of, inter- of prayer. Uh, if you've been around, like if you've been, seriously, if you've been to Pentecostal churches, you see some of the ladies in the back row break out, and they're going to town back there, and they're, and they're just praying for their grandson. They're praying for Tony, who's in a gang, and they're just they're rocking back and forth, and the Spirit just came on them, and they're just unleashing round after round of 50 caliber shells against the enemy. And then in a few minutes, it all subsides. She gets the fan out, you know, and the women come over. I've seen this. I'm not making fun of this. I love that stuff. You know, um, so they, intercession is when you, when you move into a new dynamic of prayer. I've listened to people around here. By the way, we have some intercede, intercessors here in this church. They get after it. But they got to be in a kind of a situation where, you know, not too public. Because it's, it's a little kind of strange. Now, I'll say this. Not everybody that intercedes has all this sort of, you know, and... It's not always like that. And you'll see what I mean when, I, when we talk about Jesus. But it's kind of like the Romans 8, 26 and 27, if you put that up there. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings. Groanings. Which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what kind of mind, what knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So here, let me break it down just real quick. This is a type of prayer. This thing's about prayer. Because it says the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Now anybody here know we're just, we're weak. I don't care how strong you are, how big you are, how tough you seem, or how small of a, of a person you are, or how smart you are, how philosophical you are. In essence, we stand before God, we're weak. That's why we need Jesus. Anybody that says, I'm too strong and I don't need Jesus, I'm capable and competent, you know what? If you let Jesus give you a chance, he'll show you what you're really like. And that is why we're weak. Because we're fallen, we're in a sinful body, we got disease, we got sickness, we got mental illness, we got all kinds of stuff. We're in a place of weakness. For we do not know what we should pray. You ever been there? You ever been in a place, I don't know what to pray. I just had my Aunt Matilda call me, and she's got, I don't know if this is even a word anymore, a goiter to the size of a softball, and she's in you know, terrific pain. I don't know what to pray for her. I don't know what God's will is. 
Maybe God wants you to have her into some kind of suffering for a while. Or maybe God wants to make that thing go away. Or I don't know what to pray. I've been in that kind of situation. I don't know what to pray. Anybody here been in that kind of situation? i got to pray for somebody, but I don't know what to pray. Well, it says here that sometimes we just don't know what to pray as we ought. But the, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And then the, the next verse, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the... No, no, there you go. No, stay back. Go back. There you go. Uh, so I was just shifting to verse 27. Sorry. Uh, the heart knows what, what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints. So here's what happens. Spirit of God is in us. Christ is in us. We have the mind of Christ in us. So we enter into this sort of engagement with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit goes to town. He's searching the mind of Christ. What should we pray? And then the Holy Spirit starts praying in us, and all He comes up with is groanings. Holy cow. Now that kind of flies in the face of what we like to do. We like to sit down and we like to be intelligible and well heard and, uh, and, and, you know, and say it right. But he's saying, you were praying. We don't know what to pray. Spirit's praying in us and all we get is groanings. Sometimes, you know, that's, you just, that's what you feel. You wish you could say something, but you can't. All you feel is this movement in your spirit and in your heart. And you don't know what to do with it. And it hurts. And you just don't know what to do. And you just feel like, if I could just groan, like, oh, something like that. I've heard people actually do that. And it wasn't a demon, by the way. And, uh, it's, and then it says, he knows, uh, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now he says this, I'm weak. I don't know how to pray. Spirit of God searches the mind of Christ. Spirit groans. I groan. And then it says, all that was the will of God. That sort of flies in the face of conservative evangelical Christianity. Because we like to be able to uh, be in control. We like to be able to uh, do this and do that, say this, say that. But sometimes you just don't have words for what you feel. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that when we get to our main scripture. Um, We're going to look at this sweet thing that Jesus did. He did just that. He married grief and intercession together. Some people think you have to be a certain kind of intense prayer warrior. Oh, that's stuff Larry does because Larry talks about that. You know, uh, anybody know Joshua Station? Anybody know? It's, it's, a, it's, a place, it's a place where people come to transition off the streets and have a bad life, and it's a converted hotel. Well, I spent about five and a half, year, five and a half years there with my friend Penny Phillips who ran the place. And when things would happen, she'd call me up. Get down here now. We got this going on. And I'd bring a bunch of friends. We'd go down there and we'd pray. I'd have youth groups go down there. Pretty soon my official title was the prayer guy. One time, one time there's an outdoor uh, stair. And I came out. There was something bad going on, you know, because it's a bad part of town. They got people in a lot of trouble there. And I was walking to the front door. And all of a sudden I hear this deep voice. Are you the prayer guy? And I'm like, where did that come from? And all of a sudden, this very large young man emerges out of the shadows of the stair. Are you the prayer guy? Uh, yes, I am. I need prayer. There's something in my room. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. So I got known as the prayer guy. Then when I started showing up there, people go, what's wrong? 
what's going on? Larry, the prayer guy's here. I'm like, no, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Honest. Can I pray for you? You know, people know me as a prayer guy. That's why a bunch of my friends are here tonight. They know I'm a prayer guy. And they like, now you like the topic I'm talking about. But you know what? You don't have to be a guy like me. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 says that apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists are supposed to help the body of Christ with what you do well. It's my job as a guy, a prayer warrior, to help people learn how to intercede. And there's a bunch of people since my wife and I, Cheryl, have been here for almost seven years now. There's a lot of people learn how to pray by the stuff that we've done. So it's not, what I'm talking about is not for like heavy hitters and guys that walk around, you know, like they're three feet off the ground and lights coming out of their eyes. It's not for those kind of guys. So I asked, I asked the Lord, I asked Jesus, why in the world would you have me preach on this? I, I, you know, when I, when I get strange things, I ask why. Most of the time I don't get an answer. But I still like to ask why. And best I can tell, the best I can tell, this is what I felt I was impressed with by the Lord. Right now, we are in great need of people to be willing to step up and intercede. Right now in this church, right now, we need people to intercede. And not only that, not just intercede for our church, but intercede where you're at. Is anybody, uh, it, if, you, if you don't know, it means you're like not on uh, media stuff and, and watching movies and watching the news. We're in a mess here in this country. We're in a mess here in Denver. A lot of stuff going down. By the way, that's not a political statement. Please don't misunderstand that. There's just a lot of stuff. There's stuff with the homeless people. There's gender identity stuff. There is uh, politics. There's social issues. There's all kinds of stuff. There's the, 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 uh, drugs and people, the runaways. I mean, we're, we're in a mess. We need to learn how to do more than just make a list and run our list by Jesus and hope he caught it. I believe Jesus wants to, wants to, is challenging our church is there anybody here willing to step up and say, I will, even though it's not my gift, I will be willing to let grief and intercession become part of who I am for the sake of the kingdom of God? That's the first thing that I felt impressed with. And, some, and I believe also that there's some here in this church, probably even some that aren't here tonight, that experience this Romans 8, 26 and 27 stuff, especially like at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's when it always hits me. Two o'clock in the morning, especially on a winter night, that's not really something I relish. When you get up and something's going on in there, something in your spirit, something in your heart, spirit of God is bumping and moving, and you're like, I have no clue, but I heard, I think there's bad stuff going on, I gotta pray, I'm having a panic attack, I don't know what's happening, and though, then I go into the kit, into the living room, and uh, I lay down on the couch, and I start to pray. Most of the time, I don't get a lot of words. I just start saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I pray what we call praying in the Spirit. I have prayer language. I pray in that. Uh, sometimes I just, this morning I got up like 5 o'clock, went in and lay down, and all I could do was quote these scriptures over and over and over and over again, and I knew something was going on. I believe there's some people in this church, and if you don't go to this church, uh, maybe in your church, that have been having these experiences, you don't know how to explain them. How come all of a sudden I feel bad, something's moving in me? And uh, I don't, it's like I'm having contractions. It's like, 
It's like, okay, I have to confess something. Netflix, one of my favorite shows is called The Midwife. I love that show. I love it. Every show, they show some baby being born. I love it. I cry. I, I admit it. I cry every show. I cry. My pillow has got, you got tears on it. It's so touching. The stories on there, uh, I think it's the East End, um, uh, London, uh, at post-World War II, and it's in the worst part of town, and these nuns and these midwives, how they cared for these women and, and, and the things that they went through. But, you, but they, I don't know if these women that are actresses practice this, but, man, I mean, they're, like, pushing. You know, their face is all contorted and sweat and spit coming out and just, like, cussing and all kinds of stuff. Sometimes when the Spirit of God is doing that, you feel that way. Now, remember, I'm super dramatic. I understand that. Not, a, yeah, not everybody is all that. You know, not everybody's that. And you'll see with Jesus, he wasn't that way. But that's just the way I express it. And I believe that the Lord wants to provide some language and to say to those who are experiencing this, experiencing this, you don't understand it, find somebody to help you. Get a mentor. Get somebody older that's not going to look at you like you just like have horrible morning breath. You know, that's somebody that will actually help you. And God wants to teach you. He wants to teach you how to intercede in this way. Grief and intercession go hand in hand. When God wants to birth something new, hear this. When God wants to birth something new, when he wants to break bondages, when he wants to bring victory where defeat is happening time and time again, when he wants to tear down strongholds, either in an individual's life or in a group's life or a family's life, in a city I've done, most of you don't know me that well, but I have been in so many parts of this city. And there are places that are different because of the teams of people we brought in to tear down strongholds. I'll just give you one example. It's not bragging, I'm just giving an example. This whole area at Scum is in from Colfax to Louisiana University over to Tijon. That's been an area that has been prayed in a bunch by me and my buddies. Down Broadway... From Colfax down to about Alameda, past Alameda, there were six porn shops. Since we've done the prayer in there, there's only one left. And we were in this intercession, this grief and intercession. I tell you what, when I walk by a porn shop, there's one on Broadway. Uh, it's called Pleasures. I think of I think of the young ladies that are in there and what they do, what they're forced to do. I think of the young ladies and the young men that are on the printed stuff and the movie stuff. And I, I always think, you know, that young lady has got a dad that loves her. And what she's been made to do, it just breaks my heart. Maybe it's because I have two daughters. I don't know. But that's that intercession, that's that grief God wants to birth new things. He wants to break bondages. He wants to bring victories. He wants to tear down some strongholds. When I first started here at Scum, I came, uh, Cheryl and I came, it'll be uh, seven years ago, uh, I think in August. But in May, I had, to, uh, I had talked to Mike about starting this prayer and worship ministry here at Scum. And uh, I had to go to the uh, staff 
uh, and pitch this. And uh, I really worked hard. <laughs> I really worked hard on calming down, not using my ooh, language. And uh, Jesse Heilman, boy, Jesse, told me, he said, yeah, you did pretty good because we bought it. So I pitched the idea to them. And the Lord gave me a word for them. Two words, actually. But I didn't say, I have a word for you. I didn't do that. I just said, God, it impressed me. And I said, scum has been, I believe this. I believe scum has been trying to go up these hills and, and, and get up over this, these humps. Get up over a hump, but you keep sliding back down. You can't find victory. And uh, I said, but through this worship and prayer ministry, Holy Spirit's going to come into your church, and it's going to happen. You're going to get over some humps. And I'm telling you, we got over some humps. We have got over some humps here. Now, we got some, some more little mountains to get over. But in these last seven years I've been here, we've got over some major humps. So we're going to go to uh, John 11. Uh, there we go. Now, John 11 is the story of this guy named Lazarus. We're not going to read the whole story. There's like 60 verses. I mean, I just wear me out just thinking about reading all those verses. I just want to highlight two or three things. So I'm going to tell you a quick story of Lazarus, and then we're going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to show you how Jesus wove together grief and intercession to bring Lazarus back alive. So uh, here's the brief story. Jesus is good friends with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, brothers and sisters. He's away. Lazarus gets sick. Martha and Mary... They send word to Jesus, get over here. Your boy's sick. Come on. Something like that. And, uh, and instead, instead of like, oh my gosh, I need to get over there now. Jesus waited another two days. And Lazarus died. So there's a plan in that. And so Jesus finally goes over there. Martha, and so the, most of the story is about how Martha and Mary interact with Jesus. They're both busting, busting Jesus' chops. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Come on. You could have been here two days earlier. And he was already in the tomb. So there's all this interaction and then all these professional grievers. And back in that day, if you didn't have a lot of grievers, you could hire a group of grievers, mourners, that would mourn for you. I just think that's kind of strange. But you could. Uh, morning or us. I don't know. That, you'll get that in a second. Um, so what happened then was then Jesus shows up and then he says, take me to the tomb. So we're going to read verse uh, 1 through 6 now. If you have your Bible, you can follow that or follow this. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So you could tell how Jesus really felt about him. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus already had a clue what was happening here. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So I want to just do a little sidebar here. You ever feel like Jesus has delayed answers to your prayer? 
I've been praying for six months for a job. I've been praying for me, my, my mom, who's 91, just moved to Tennessee to be with my sister. I've been praying for 50 years for that woman to get saved. She finally got saved about a month ago at 91 years old. And my sister recorded the prayer she prayed and sent it to me. And I just broke down and cried. I've been praying for Myrtle Marie Pombianco for 50 years. Come on, Jesus. And now all my family is in the kingdom of God. And I'll be seeing them up there. Robert Leonard, my dad, Myrtle Marie, my mom, my brother Kim, my sister Kelly, all my grandkids, my daughters, we're all in business right now. And I just, that's great. But sometimes God doesn't answer it right away. John eleven seventeen. Now he's got to the city. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. So they didn't waste any time. Lazarus had been dead for two days. They already got him in the tomb. So they didn't mess around. Next, next one. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, See, here we go. Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. They're working Jesus right now. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened his eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaning in himself. So now you got groaning, crying, groaning. Now I'm going I'm to highlight what those words mean. Came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Next slide. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe... You would see the glory of God. So now the issue is their belief and their faith. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now Jesus is going into a prayer that everybody can hear. I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You notice he didn't say, Lazarus, be raised from the dead. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Because Lazarus was already raised from the dead. He just was in the tomb. And he who had died came out bound, hounded foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Okay, go back to the previous slide. I want to I show you how grief and intercession work. Verse uh, 31. So here's Mary. She, she is busting Jesus' chops. You should have been here. And he wouldn't have died. This triggered something in Jesus. What did it trigger? It triggered a groan. He said that he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now you notice it says he groaned in the spirit. He was, this was, at this point, he wasn't weeping. There was nothing physically going on. It was in his spirit. You guys know grief and intercession comes from our spirit. 
Now, get a load of this. Here's what the word groaned means. It means to be deeply moved, to be moved by anger, to snort like an angry horse, springing out of deep displeasure. And it is a violent agitation from grief. Mary says, you should have been here. Jesus goes into grief. A real deep working, like moving grief. But nobody can see it. In his spirit, he's grieving and he's groaning. And, and he, is, he moves into this, uh, this place of intercession. The word troubled means to be disturbed, interperplexed, internally perplexed. And it means another word, roiling, R-O-I-L-I-N-G. Roiling is what has happening when a pot of water is at a full boil. You ever watch a pot of water and while it's just boiling like crazy? That's roiling. It's disturbance. It's turmoil. It's chaos. It's just working bubbles and all kinds of stuff just over and over and all kinds of stuff. That's what was happening inside of Jesus' spirit. Then, verse, uh, let's see, where were we? Okay. 35. Jesus wept. I looked up the word wept. What did that mean? To shed quiet tears. So Jesus was not flailing on the ground, pounding the ground. Oh, my God, I can't believe that Lazarus is dead. You know, twisting and turning and hollering and just grieving like the grievers would grieve. It was a quiet Weeping. Jesus just was in himself right there. But he wept. And then verse 38 says, Jesus again groaning in himself. Back to that word groan. So here he goes, groaning, weeping, groaning. Then he goes, uh, next slide. Verse 41, Then they took him away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. When did the Father hear him? There's no record of any prayer there. That means what Jesus was going through there was prayer. All that grieving, all that groaning, all that snorting like a horse, all that anger, that agitation, and that weeping, that was his prayer. You know, there are times where your grief is your prayer because you're tapping into something that's coming from heaven and you don't know what to do with it, but all you can do is cry. All you can do is groan. You just are laboring. There's a labor going on. That's what Jesus... So Jesus is groaning, weeping, groaning. Then he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard heard me. Is silently to himself. He was engaged with the Father. You know, Jesus in John 5.19 says, I only do what I see the Father do. I only do what I hear him say. That's all I do. He must, the Father must have been grieving over Lazarus because that's what Jesus was doing. He says, and I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now he moves from silent intercession in grief to thanking the Father for the sake of those that are around him. I'll tell you what, eventually, eventually, when we engage with that Romans 8, 26, and 27 thing, 
Things start breaking. Things start happening. God, we engage with the Father. And the result was, Lazarus was transferred spirit and soul. You know, when you die, all that's left is your spirit and soul. That's the real you. You go to paradise. Uh, well, they, they did back then because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. They're in paradise. Now, can you imagine Lazarus is there? I'm happy. I'm, I made it. Yo, Lazarus. Oh, man. I mean, I think that's maybe what I would have done. His spirit and soul are called up. And now what is waiting for him in the tomb is this corroded body that's already stinking. It had been dead for four days. It was corroding. It was, uh, 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 what do they call it? Uh, disintegrating. And his soul and his spirit went back in his body, and his body was made brand new again. And then he hops out of the grave. You know, he didn't walk out of the grave. It says he hops out because he was all tangled up with all of his grave clothes. Jesus grieved, and he prayed, and he wept. And the Father was moved to the point where he said, I'll raise Lazarus from the dead. That's where the power comes from. There are times where Jesus, uh, Jesus touched a person and they raised from the dead. There are other times where he, w- where he raised somebody from the dead just by speaking a couple of words to him right there. There's other times where he just sent a word and a person was raised from the dead. This time, Jesus had to go through this intercessory grieving prayer and engage with the Father so that Lazarus... So something big could happen. Lazarus, you know, raising people from the dead, that's, that's a pretty big deal. That's just not something you can ring up somebody on the phone and go, hey, I'd like to order in a raising from the dead, and uh, can you shoot them full of stuff? And psh, cryogenics. You can't, you know, you can't do that. Being raised from the dead is in God's hands. And the way God raised Lazarus was through this process. Honest, I'm almost done. <laughs> Why was Jesus grieving? What was so upsetting to him? One was because Lazarus had succumbed to Jesus' greatest enemy, which is death. We all know the devil's the main enemy, but the main enemy in our lives is death. God is not a God of death. God doesn't care for death. God doesn't want people to die. That's not his plan. He wants eternal life for everybody. He's not willing that anybody should perish. But his, his friend succumbed to death. He snagged another one. I think it just grieved Jesus so much. Lost to the family. Mary and Martha lost their brother. You know, Isaiah 53, verse 3, says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When we lose somebody and we have losses in our life, that man of sorrows, that man acquainted with grief, is right there to grieve with us. And I think that's what Jesus was doing. I think that Jesus was also really really miffed at the professional grievers because that gives no dignity to the person that died. You know what gives dignity to it? Is when people really grieve. People that are close to him really grieve. And Jesus loved Lazarus. And he was entering into the dignity of real grief. And then, of course, the last one was, in his prayer, he gives it away, people just didn't believe. Martha and Mary didn't. That, that he was the son of God and he could do this. I believe he was grieved by that. So, I'm going to read you this thing by a guy I like when I do these messages. It's a guy named Barnes. He says, This was more than ordinary grief or sympathy. 
This was a fountain of tears. And the cause of it was the distress that could only be vented through audible groans. Jesus' journey was to hear, to wait, to show up, to grieve, to weep, to grieve some more, pray, and then speak a word, then things happen. You know, we, uh, now I think most of you guys that know me know I come from pretty much a charismatic background. I don't know if you can tell that or not. But I come from a very charismatic, prophetic. I have lots of friends in, in that, those circles. And there, uh, in some, some, of the, some of those circles, the power of the tongue is big. All you have to do, I just read this one guy. He talked about creating your own reality by what you speak. And uh, while there's probably some uh, truth in the idea of what you believe you need to speak, and then God can work in your life, I, I don't agree with that. But when Jesus spoke... And Lazarus came from the dead. What was backing him up? Grief, weeping, grief, anger, some more grief, prayer. Then when he spoke the word, it happened. That's what I like about Jesus. When he does something like that, he's got something backing him up. I do like Matthew 6, 6, one of my favorite verses. Where Jesus taught us how to pray. And what he taught us to pray was, um, go in your secret place and pray in secret. And I'll reward you openly. I just think we're missing that. We love, we love us Americans, us uh, Americans, Christians, conservative evangelicals. We love to work. We love to work. We love to do ministry. We love to make an impact on people's lives. We love to invest. And we feel good when we go home at night. I just did a lot of great ministry. And uh, I've been known as... Uh, I had a friend of mine uh, gave me a little plaque. Uh, so I said something like, the hardest working man in Christianity or something like that. Because I like to work. I'm a worker. You don't have to, you don't have to tell me what to do. Just tell me what the job is and I'll figure it out and I'll come back with the results. I like hard work. But I've been so convicted over my last years that this sort of intercessory and all kinds of prayer needs to back up our work. And here Jesus gave a great example of being so grieved and so hurt and so engaged with the Father that when it came time to raise Lazarus from the dead, he could do it because there was power in what he said and what he did because of what he backed it up with. What he did in secret. All that was going on in his spirit. I'm going to share one more little thing that I'm done. And I'm supposed to have a slide with uh, three things you can walk away that you can do. I don't have one of those, but I'm going to tell you what to do. Sorry, that sounded bad. I didn't mean that <laughs> like I said it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. About the second year we were here, I proposed to Mike Sayers, the senior pastor at the time, we do a week-long fast. This is the language that I use. We didn't use this language in the church because I was still pretty new and I couldn't use my charismatic language. We, t- we said something else. But I said, Mike, we need to do a week-long fast, the whole church, to break the curse of poverty off of this church on finances so that, and then when we get done with this, the sign will be that the building's paid off. We're out of debt. Mike laughed so hard 
he fell, almost fell out of his chair. He did. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, not that he was going to hurt himself. It just it seemed really touching. So we did it. It was about this time of the year, five years ago. The place was open. We had prayer stations. I was here from like about 9 o'clock in the morning to like 6 at night. Praying, fasting, and praying. We fasted and we prayed. We had stations. Over here we had a uh, place where we said, people come in, write down the strongholds you think are in this church. I mean, one, one night, on Wednesday night, they had this whole group of kids, uh, leaders in this church, humbled around there, just tearing strongholds. They were going after it. They were just tearing it up. It was awesome. So we got done. Uh, Tracy led worship at the end of the night. I think it was a Saturday night. Went back. Everything was back to usual. Mike goes, uh, within a few months, goes on sabbatical. was gone for a whole month. Next thing I know, I'm sitting back over there. Jesse Boy's up here. He tells the story how two different parties gave a large amount of money and the building was paid off. I'm in the back. I'm going like this. My, my usual knucklehead. Anybody get this? Did anybody get this? I didn't say that because I would have been disruptive. But I'm like... Anybody put two plus two equals four together here? And there was no verbal expression of that, except for me. We labored for that whole week. We broke the curse of poverty, and the building got paid off. I think that's, that's a good example of this. So, here is my point that I'm supposed to give you guys something to do. My point is this. I'd like to challenge our church. Now, I may get some feedback that I don't like about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'd like to challenge our church. And if you're not from our church, I'd like to challenge you in your church. Are there things in your church? Are there Lazaruses in your church? Are there dead things that can't just, no matter what you do, you, you put the air pump on and you... And, and nothing, it, it doesn't do anything. I'd like to challenge us. I believe God's speaking to our church, to your church. Will we, we, will we be, am I talking? Will we be, will we be? <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> I've been talking so long, I can't even talk. Will we be, oh my God. I might be, I might be. Would we be willing to step up to the plate individually and together? To intercede in this kind of way. Grieve and let God give us his heart. You know, when God gives his heart, especially when it's a painful heart, what an honor that. You know, he doesn't give that to anybody. That's pretty valuable. But will we be willing to do that? And I I just want to challenge our church. I think I've been around long enough. I've earned the chops to be able to do that. Challenge our church individually. For those of you that wake up in the middle of the night, you got stuff going on inside. You don't know what's happening. You're painful. You're just like, I don't know what to say. Find somebody to help you figure that out and stay with it because we need it. I will end again. We got them where we want them. I believe scum's best days are ahead. And may God bless us to not be stuck where we're at, but to move forward and be those that will intercede and then let God, because we do that, Raise our Lazaruses from the dead. God bless you all.